What I love about the spoon is this idea of the marriage of the prehistoric neck piece and our future rooted in Europe. And we had a linguaphone, a little plastic case of cassettes all kind of wrapped together in the case and we used to play it and I, I loved it. It was glamorous. Exotic. Exotic, it was. <laughs> Welcome to Continental Riffs, a series of conversations between pairs of artists, makers and producers that considers Europe through a cultural lens. Objects and experiences chosen by the contributors punctuate each episode as they consider ideas, emotions and perhaps realisations that come to them through having their focus on the continent of Europe. This edition's contributors know each other a while, as you'll hear. Both are Irish and spent many years living in Ireland, before putting down roots, one in London, the other in Paris. Dance artist and choreographer Fergus O'Crohor and director of the Irish Cultural Centre, Le Centre Culturel Irlande in Paris, Nori Hickey Missicilli, met up in London from where we recorded this episode of Continental Riffs. They started out by sharing their earliest sense of the significance for them of place and languages and of their possibilities, an awareness that has evolved and expanded for both of them over time. My, my parents from, from Kilkenny and Wicklow went against the grain and moved north in 1970 and they settled in Belfast where I was born and my mother was an archaeologist so she would we would travel the country together and she'd point out Bronze Age burial sites and stone circles and fairy hills and she'd talk to me about bog butter and bog bodies. So I, I really feel like I got to know the land very well. And then I, I was raised in Fermanagh, you know, very close to Donegal and lived in different parts of the island in Limerick when I worked in the Hunt Museum in Cork when I was in the Glucksman. We'd go on family holidays to, to Kerry and to Wexford. And then before moving to Paris, I was up in, in Wicklow studied in Dublin. So I feel it's interesting when thinking about it, it, it's the coast. I really covered the coast, but it means that I have a very strong attachment to the to the entire island. And um, and I feel that has shaped who I am and who I am now in Paris, you know, away from that island. And, and what about you, Fergus, your, your own roots? Well, so in the um although my family are blow-ins, they're from Cork, um, but I grew up speaking Irish and English in the Gaeltachtan Ring. And I think that's an important part of um, who I am in the sense of always knowing that there could be a suilele, like another way to see things, a different language, a different set of perspectives. As you know, I'm a choreographer, so I work in dance and there wasn't a lot of contemporary dance when I was growing up Sarang. And actually, interestingly, um, we have a, a really strong a kind of Shannos tra- uh, singing tradition and music tradition, really strong musicians now there, but not so much dancing um, like I learned a slash came from um, Anne Queen, the great singer from Limerick, um, but not not that much growing up. So it's interesting that dance is something I discovered outside of that experience. Um, and it's interesting also the kind of inside outsideness um, of being a blow in. So not being of the many generations that had have been in that Gaeltacht. 
but then how one becomes part of that and learns, takes on a new identity and then kind of carries it. But yeah, for me, that background has always been really important. We'd obviously met each other before I moved to France, but when we moved to France, I realised you were also very comfortable in French. And so often it's the way, you know, when you have a second language that a third or a fourth is is not so challenging. And, you know, for me, Europe is is multilingualism. It's it's that facility to move between languages. And as you say, it's also about different perspectives then. I feel really fortunate to have been brought up with two languages because I think maybe for people who have one language like growing up there's this kind of sense that there's one way like there's the right way and then you sort of learn there are these other ways but they're somehow not quite as right as the way that you learned when you were (laughs) your first language even though my parents hadn't grown up in the Gaeltacht my mum was teacher so she spoke Irish and she was teaching Sakhloshta and my dad um, spoke Irish his mum was also a primary school teacher so somehow Irish was like kind of familiar and I think it's important as well because it meant as a child I could be speaking Irish and certainly that grandmother even though she wasn't living in the Gulf could speak to me in Irish it wasn't a, a, dialed, a kind of split between different parts of the family but I was fortunate that I was looked after when I was a kind of young child by mom one of the one of the women from the local area and I would be in that family so really I grew up with Irish and English and I even remember my young like my young brother Kean. Um, when he was young at a kind of 12 years later, he would call things, he would look at it and say like duck laka. So laka is the Irish for duck. And he had, he would sort of say that when he was looking at the thing, he would have the two words would come together. And I think that opens up the sense that, oh, there can be multiple ways to see things. My mother was the one who was interested in French, I think. She was very good at French. But my dad was the one who travelled with his work. He, he worked in the creamery in Dungarvan which became Waterford Foods, which then took on the contract from Yople, a, a big kind of international brand. And my dad was part, would travel a little bit. So we had this sense that Europe was this interesting other set of possibilities. Like I've lived in England, in London, for 30 years. And for most of that time, that's meant living in Europe. Only recently that has changed. But yet France has had this kind of continental Europe feel and a kind of historical connection to Ireland that every time I go to CCI and we talk about Joyce or Beckett or like all of those histories where particularly Irish artists, Irish intellectuals, might have gone to kind of experience another set of possibilities. It's in, it's interesting in the European context that we certainly started with that Western European mm-hmm. French and then it's over time that we've expanded our notion of actually what Europe is and, and all of the other influences that come to us across Europe. Mm-hmm. My own mother was also a Francophile, my, my grandmother as well. So French was really the, the other language for me. And my mother sent me to, to France when I was 13. And I spent a month there with a the family and that was incredibly formative. It gave me a real appetite for learning French and a love of the language. And it showed me that language, other languages, it was a, a way to connect to people. I think that was really important as well. As I visited France, you know, in later years, what I what what excited me really about France was that it was this gateway to Europe, but also to the rest of the world. And I think my love affair began with Europe when I was 14. Just a year later, I went on a European theatre course in Vienna and I met people from from all over Europe. There were 10 from each country, so I was one of 10 representing Ireland. 
And what struck me was how at ease children were speaking in different languages. The, the lingua franca was English, but, you know, you had Belgians and, and Dutch and Scandinavians all speaking in English. And when I when I returned to Ireland, we'd write letters to each other and it was a real lifeline um, for me. And it was that connection. I felt very connected to Europe. I felt very European. And then later, when I went back to France, what excited me, as I said, was this idea of la francophonie, because through French, you're not just connected to France, but to so many countries in, in the world and African countries in particular. That was also I was fascinated by this shared colonial, post-colonial experience and studied um, African literature in French when I when I went on to study French, actually, and studied Quebecois literature as well. So I was always interested in pushing the boundaries and going to those edges. And of course, we're from the edge. We're from the edge of Europe. Well, you say that I am um, Ireland being on the periphery, which, of course, and it's interesting to think about power structures as like who who gets to decide what the centre is and what the periphery. Just in June, I was at the Centre Culturel uh, Irlande in Paris, and uh, you had programmed a Fête des Idées, a festival of ideas. <laughs> and you, Professor Michael Cronin from, from TCD, and he had reminded us that while Ireland might be at the periphery of a Greek-Roman sense of empire, that actually it's always been at the crossroads between North and South continents. If you're talking about the sea, seafaring um, travel kind of North and South between Scandinavia and North Africa, between East and West, kind of the Americas and, and the European continent. Actually, the geography of how we think about ourselves is pretty important and the kind of um, expectations that come with that. But I do, I know what you mean. There's something important important about those peripheral spaces. And actually just coming back, it's been interesting for me as a choreographer over the years, taking part in European projects because the funding that came from the European Union through what, what we call Creative Europe, which is one of the schemes that would fund exchange between artists across Europe. It's been a, a great boon, um, particularly for our dance artists in Ireland who might not necessarily uh, have access to lots of funding within the Irish funding system there were always opportunities to connect, to grow the work, to be influenced by other people, to build friendships and artistic friendships. And I certainly benefited from that. But sometimes you would feel that there were authoritative central European, so kind of French or German or, I mean, even Dutch or whatever, um, institutions that thought of themselves as being the centre of culture and the rest of us being somehow behind and ready to be developed, needing to catch up. But the thing that I found quite enabling over the years is that actually there are ways where those so-called peripheral countries, organisations experience started to link up. You don't have to go through the centre, that it can be like the small Galtlachsarang or in Uydor or wherever, can be connecting to somewhere in Brittany or to another um, traditional music culture or to a minority language spoken in Latvia or wherever. Like there's something about how that European umbrella can also allow for different kinds of constellations that aren't only through the big cities. It's interesting in this context, when we're talking about Europe, to look at the kind of progress that has been made since Ireland entered the European Union or the EEC, as it was at the time, back in 1973, the year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, the change in Ireland over those 50 years. Absolutely. And I mean, very particularly those rights. And I know it's not this is not the European Union specifically, but it's the, the European Court of Justice, the um, decriminalisation of homosexuality in Ireland came through that sort of European context rather than, of course, it had to be then the legislation changed in Ireland. But for me, I went to study in the UK, so that was in Europe in 1993. And up until that point, uh, same-sex relations were criminalised in in Ireland. So for me, that kind of context, it's interesting how it has changed possibilities. But equally, I mean, the possibilities in terms of just economic people being able to travel to live better lives. And I know um, immigration is such a a kind of hotly contested issue, but certainly those of us from the island of Ireland, lives became more viable by having opportunities to go elsewhere across Europe, obviously legally. And I think we must not forget that making lives viable, and that might be because of all kinds of difference. It might be because of your economic circumstances, but it might be because of who you are, how you think, who you love. And as someone who's benefited from that in my life and who fell in love here in the UK, who um, has been married now and lives here for 30 years, this life which also includes being this life as an artist, because I got to come here and train in dance in London at rates that were local rates as opposed to foreign student rates. I got to do that because I was a European citizen. So I'm dancing because that is possible. I fortunately received from some funding from the Arts Council as well, but it is that European context that made this dance career, this life that I love and that I want as many people as possible to be able to enjoy, to experience, to see, to be involved in. This has been possible because of a kind of European context. You know, you you are a geographer as well as a choreographer. (laughs) I'm really interested to hear about, we've spoken about language and giving a second language, giving you a different perspective, but then also being a geographer and a dancer and a choreographer, you know, how this impacts your navigation of the world. Well, I guess, first of all, I should explain the kind of geography bit, because when I went to university, it's literature that I studied. Geography was recent, not until my 40s, where I was very fortunate to discover a couple of geographers, um, Jerry Cairns and Karen Till, who were at Maynooth University, who were very interested in the arts in Ireland. And it's kind of through them and through the choreographer Rhianach Nynail, who actually did train as geographer and lectured as a geographer before um, really starting her career as a dancer and a choreographer. Um, So brilliant, smart, wonderful dancer and maker. I started to recognise that geography is really about the movement of people through place, spaces, which is really what choreography is. Even though there are lots of connections, I guess, fundamental connections I see between choreography and geography, geography is also a kind of another language. And I found it really interesting to learn that language as a way to look at what I'm already doing and just have another set of tools or perspectives to help me see it differently. And I think what geography and studying geography, I did my my PhD in Maynooth, what it helped me do was see what I'm doing. And in a way helped me see the context. I I know I've always been interested in dance in its context, in its place in the world. Dance teaches us about how 
we, like individual bodies, could be put together, how we could move, how we could be as collective bodies, so how we might come together, a kind of choreography, how we sit with each other, how we move with each other, all of those sort of things. And also it helps me look at the world, so the kind of the politics, the way who gets to travel, who's allowed to do what. All of that has an ethical impact and it has an aesthetic impact because, for example, in the Casement project, which is the big project that I did in 2016 as part of the Arts Council's commemorations of the 1916 Rising and an opportunity for contemporary artists to reimagine or respond to who we could be. One of the events that we did uh, was to have a day of dance on the beach in Banna, which is where Roger Casement came ashore in 1916. And I wanted it to be a day to welcome the stranger. So the beach is a place where many of us feel comfortable, enjoy our bodies, go for a run, sit out, whatever. It's a place where maybe many people in Ireland would feel kind of connected to their physicality and in a hopefully a positive way. And to have this shoreline, beautiful shoreline, And one of the things we did is we built a platform and the platform was important for me because it was a place that was special. So the stage was special, but it was low enough and accessible enough that the dancers that used wheelchairs could get onto it. So we had performances, but we also had a Kaylee and we had a rave so that the people who were in the audience could step up on the stage so that the the transition between the special place of performance and the place of viewing is very fluid and porous. I don't want that border to be hard or fixed. I'm someone who discovered dance like late in life. I didn't start training till I was 23. I didn't know contemporary dance existed, that this life would be possible. So I guess I really, I really want to make roots between the specialness of the wonderful opportunity I have to be an artist, to be a performer, to be available to lots of people and to all kinds of people. So for me, all of the work that I'm doing is kind of trying to create those connections, trying to bring dance to people, to whether it's football pitches or to the TV where people will see things, you know, in their own living room, but also make sure that the people who are on that stage, who are in that platform, that a variety of people will be able to recognise themselves in that. But I mean, it's the same for you. I feel when I look at your programme at the Centre Culturel that it is a programme that is trying to reflect the complexity, the diversity of identities that we are across the island of Ireland now, and also to keep building connections. I, I, I love being at the CCI, that crossroads where you might meet anyone, maybe from Ireland, maybe from down the road that you already know, but also from any other place across the world. I Before I, I moved to Paris, I was exploring in my mind the ideas of exchange between France and Ireland so it was kind of maybe looking at that bilateral relationship but when I arrived you know I went back to my childhood and the excitement I had about France as that that gateway that way into the rest of the world and that has very much shaped the program and how I how I work we've internationalized our residency program so we do we have artists from from all over the world thanks to partnerships that we've established with universities and with other cultural centres. Um, Paris has the highest concentration of culture, international cultural centres in the world. So I regularly talk to colleagues from Taiwan, Estonia and really from all over the world. 
Ireland um, prides itself as a as an open and welcoming country, and and that's something that I that's a value that I bring to the centre. Um, that we're connecting people as well, that we're a real hub and a meeting place. Fergus, I'm thinking of the first time that I encountered you. It wasn't you as you are here <laughs> uh, with me in person, but it was through your work. It was in 2006 when I when I viewed your work match. Um, and it really struck me at the time. So it was a duet for two men in Croke Park. Mm-hmm. And so this this meeting of sport very traditional Irish sport and art because it was shown in Triscoll Arts Centre. And I, I later went on to show that work in, in Mermaid Arts Centre. But it brought me back to my childhood when I questioned my father. I don't know whether I've ever told you this, you know, very literary man who worked in the arts, but very passionate about football. And I kind of questioned this and he said, but it's the choreography mm-hmm. on the pitch and it struck me this word that he was using this this choreography and it, and it gave me an appreciation of what happens on the pitch and you now have a work abu and tell me about that you know where that comes from because your work in abu you're working with a collective you've brought a collective together to make that work the first thing is to kind of acknowledge that i come from a gaa mad and proficient family which is my siblings, brothers, sisters, my mother, my uncles, aunts, like they're really high performing GA and really interested. So I grew up with all of that. And I, I've always said that I it feels like my DNA is made for that. It's just I have taken it on a different dance, a different journey and kind of used all of that to express. So it's not that I think of my dancing as separate from that. I'm part of the family. I'm just um, a kind of a slightly different expression of it to what people will be used to. And in a way, what I've been trying to do over the years is use dance as a way to help, we'll say something like the GAA to kind of to recognise itself, but in through a different, through a sulele, from a different perspective. So Match was an opportunity that came up because RTE commissioned a series of dance films and a number of other choreographers in Ireland made brilliant films too. I was really lucky that I got to work with Durbel Walsh, brilliant filmmaker. And, she, and Julie Feeney. And Julie Feeney. the music. Yes, yes yeah. exactly. So like a brilliant, and I think collaboration is really important that we would kind of come together and we understood what we were trying to do. So it was something in a way that you wanted people to be able to understand that we knew what we were talking about. I've seen other work that uses sport done by maybe a ballet company. And I feel like it's kind of sometimes it's I'm going to say superficial or kind of camped up as if it's someone who's just seen whatever it is, a football match or something like that. And they're looking at it very much from the outside, whereas I really want people you know, when they look at a piece like Match or like Abu, that they know that we have paid attention, that we care about it and that it's recognisable and in a way that it's revealing something that's already there, but maybe that hasn't been expressed. Abu is a piece we made last year with the Step Up programme. So I'm the curator. Step Up is a programme for early career dance professionals in Ireland. There is now a BA programme for dance training at the University of Limerick, but actually many dancers in Ireland will still be going abroad to have a kind of conservatory training. We don't have that opportunity in Ireland. And the risk is that we lose that talent because they are building their networks abroad and then they just sort of keep on going. They don't necessarily come back. So Step Up was set up a number of years ago to just be an opportunity, a kind of to bring those 
uh, earlier career professionals back to Ireland. And I worked with them last year to make a piece for GAA pitches, we'll say. Worked particularly with the Han GAA, but with camogie stars in Limerick, with football stars, just to immerse the dancers in that language. It's very much about community. It's about the people... It's about the whole team that it takes to allow an individual performance. And it really is that balance between group and individual. I remember going to see training at Napiersig, which is one of the clubs in kind of Limerick City. And I went in and there were mostly kind of loads of parents in the evening with all of their kids and very busy, noisy, like all of the underage teams training in the evening. But then on one of the other pitches, because they have several there was one young girl on her own just practicing taking shots and somehow that balance between the individual focus commitment and this kind of team group energy community family those two things feel to, feel to me to be really balanced i know myself i'm probably a little bit more in that solitary person doing <laughs> the thing but i all the time want to make sure that we recognize that that person is also part of the team, essential to the team, and that it takes all of those different energies to come together. And I think in the kind of choreography and my my kind of sense of the world that I'm trying to help build through the choreography, it's to create those structures that will allow all of that difference to exist with each other. One of the kind of distinctive features of the Irish dance community is that we don't have a single style. We don't have a training institution that kind of moulds us all in a particular way. We will have scattered across mostly Europe because of the financial kind of possibilities, picked up different kind of training traditions, different ways of doing things. And then when we do come back to Ireland, it is with all of that diversity of different experiences that we're coming and I I think there's a a real strength in that it makes it different from the kind of dance that you might see in other countries where you will have a whole bunch a whole kind of generations of dancers that have gone through one sort of formation that will have produced more or less homogenous bodies and that means that you can do work which is about kind of making everyone be in unison and the same and kind of familiar. Whereas actually Ireland is always, you know, I think going to be emphasising individuality in our own ways of moving. I I think that's a real strength. Mm. Um, And it's an interesting moment now because in Ireland we're looking at the setting up of a new all-island dance company. The Arts Council is going to invest significant resources to try and bring dance to the kind of opportunities that opera has had recently in the creation of the Irish National Opera. And I know some people will be wondering about, you know, oh, oh, what's the what's the aesthetic going to be? What's the unifying look? What will be an all-island company? And certainly for me, as someone who's interested in that new company and its possibilities, it's going to be its diversity. It's going to be the welcome of difference, an island that looks outwards as well as inwards. I am thinking back to your archaeologist mother and the, to the, those kind of histories where we were connected to the mainland, to the, you know, we haven't always been like this. It hasn't always been these borders. We could be different again in the future. But it's, it's we're, we're both, we both share an interest in cultural diplomacy. And obviously the Centre Culturel Yolande is part of Ireland's cultural diplomacy, part of its soft power. 
But it's interesting the kind of cultural diplomacy that's taking place on the island of Ireland at the moment. And of course, the tools used there are attraction and seduction. I always <laughs> think it's it's like a kind of a love affair, isn't it? That you need to, you know, it's 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 interpersonal. We talk about international relations, but really it's it is about people and connecting people and interesting to, to look at those decisions that have been taken at a political level, I think, as well. Um, I, I wanted to go back to, to what you were talking about in terms of the sport and the discipline required. Mm. Next year, obviously, Paris will host the Olympics. And so we'll have a whole programme dedicated to art and sport. And I think the discipline that is required by an athlete is also one you can see that is required for a musician, for a dancer. And I'd be working also with a visual artist called Michael Hanna. He, he has a, a project called Crossing the Park and he has left his initial team, which is Everton, and he is now shifting loyalty to Liverpool, which is, as you know, you're, you're nodding, as you know, this is betrayal. And, and he is the subject of the artwork. So he's studying really the psychological impact of that. How can he? And of course, this is linked to his background in Northern Ireland and tribalism and nationalism. So it's a very rich project. I'm wondering in relation to that, because we have been talking about navigating borders, but some of the biggest challenges that we are facing as a planet are bigger than borders, are bigger than kind of our tribal concerns. And I I've been thinking about in relation to Europe, I guess one of the things that it has offered is a context. It was a bigger context, certainly pre-Brexit. It was a context in which tribal identities could be considered within a bigger envelope. And now I think there's something as well about looking outside of Europe. I'm very aware that I became European, like quite literally European, when I started working in China, going to, and that was after maybe 2005, 2006, around the time of the Beijing Olympics, there were opportunities um, for kind of cultural exchange there. And I did some uh, work and built friendships. But there I was called an Ojoran, so a, a European, uh, partly because in China, like Ireland, didn't necessarily have a lot of brand rec recognition at that point. But I'm also aware in our awareness of post-colonialism, of, of a kind of changing sense of the world world and justice, that we also need to recognise kind of Europe, Western Enlightenment as a kind of particular way of doing things and related to colonialism and to negative impacts across the globe. I think you've always had that wider perspective and you talked about la francophonie um as a wider wider thing than something just related to france but i'm i'm sort of wondering about those bigger envelopes that help us think beyond what we've called tribal concerns or mm. kind of local concerns well that's it I, with cultural diplomacy i think now it's no longer about national interests but actually we've we've seen with with climate change and the pandemic you know, artificial intelligence and surveillance that now we must cooperate and, and work at, a, at an international level. Hard power is no longer an option also with nuclear weapons. So soft power is the future, really, um, and culture is the future. You were saying you became European when you went to China. Yeah. And equally, um, you know, with my experience in, in Zambia, I was probably 
keener to play down my Europeanness there. Somehow there was it, it, it felt tainted Europeanness because of this. I, I was kind of eager to emphasize my Irishness and having that shared post-colonial history. My husband is, is Zambia. I'm from a Zambian Irish family now. And so I traveled over to meet his family and to spend time with them. And I met my husband in Cork and and my sister-in-law uh, reminds me a little of, of, a, of a Cork woman because she's she's so terribly Zambian. And, you know, she says kind of, why would you leave Zambia when you when you can stay when you can stay here? Why would you ever leave? Um, and you talked about an Irish Zambian family, but also you're you're having um I think an Irish Zambian French family really That's true um, yes yes how, how is it navigating all of those different kind of possibilities You know that's true that it's I'm having to have conversations with my children about identity and it's something we we talk about quite a bit and you know at times they feel strongly Irish and they're learning Irish they're learning the tin whistle but uh, but they've also been they've spent all their life uh, the two of them have spent their lives in in France as well so they do feel very French and that's I think what it is now to be a kind of global citizen, you know, and I think that's what I wanted for myself. That's really what I felt growing up. You know, I felt I was from the island, but but more than that and always looking, looking beyond. And, you know, I do that in my work as well. Those multilateral projects where we bring together, for example, rappers from Senegal, France and Ireland, those those are the projects that excite me. And I would say, so with a film like Abu, a project like Abu, it is no accident that the music is by the brilliant Murli Bow, producer but music maker, um, who I got to know as part of the Rusangano family, but from Limerick, Claire Limerick, born in Togo. Um, Did you meet him in the Son Culturesque? I, I was wondering. I didn't meet him in the Son Culturesque. When he was on residence. I know he was on residence. Yeah, I know you've you've had you've had them all there. It's a brilliant place to meet people, and it's and also great that you come back regularly. You know, you 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 feel it's a it's a place to renew maybe your energy. I I often go there, so it's interesting. The thing about dance is we do need space and. Imp- the kind of space and the right kind of space is important. Um, certainly in my practice, I have been able to dance in many different places on in car parks, Dublin City, as all of those Docklands were being developed. But it that kind of approach means that you have a lovely conference room and I can get to dance in there sometimes. It doesn't always have to be a dance studio because I think people maybe think of the Centre Culturel as a place for writers or visual artists who kind of work in a studio or composers or, you know, actually there's plenty of space for dance there too. And what that allows is this kind of meeting between people that isn't just about their art form, but about the ideas. Like, why do we... Why do we do what we do? Why do we make the art that we're doing? And you can meet with people on those ideas. I I had a brilliant time with the um, musician Shahab Kuhe, so Irish-Iranian musician who plays um, traditional Persian music and instruments, who plays Western classical music, who plays traditional Irish music in a way because he's part of the band Nava. And it was just so amazing through him to kind of connect to that Persian music tradition, which he plays so beautifully, and do that 
in this space that you have at the Son Culturel. I was particularly pleased that he was able to close our St. Patrick's Festival on the eve of Persian New Year and in association with the Iranian Cultural Centre, very symbolic about this openness to, to, to the rest of the world. Openness and connected. Yeah, I think I, I've been thinking recently it, it was probably since Mary Robinson that but that like that real emphasis on our diaspora that there is all of the Irish people and all of the people that live on the island of Ireland but then there is all that kind of Irish identity that is dispersed all over the globe and that we are and is are, growing and is growing mm. hybrid and is like connecting to all kinds of other backgrounds and histories i think sometimes we think all of this kind of mixing and hybridization is new and it's a thing that we have to learn to adapt to. It's always been happening. That's why I'm really fascinated by this kind of archaeology, these sort of layers of our histories when things were different, when different different people mi- migrated across the planet in different ways. And the Saint Culturel is a perfect example of that because housed in the old Irish college. So there's a presence in that cinquième arrondissement of Paris that goes back for 450 years. I mean, that, I love that. I love that marriage of the medieval and the, and the, and the contemporary. You do that in your singing too, don't you? I do indeed, yes, yes. I, I, uh, during the pandemic, I was able to go back and study chant in the University of Limerick. It was the first time they'd offered the course over Zoom. And in fact, one of the, the tutors was based in Paris, so I was able to have classes chant. I chanted in the, the Saint Culturel chapel. It was the perfect situation. And it was re- very, I had studied uh, classical singing growing up and in my 20s. But chant is very different. It's not a performance. It's very much about internalising the music. And you are then a vessel to communicate the word. It's really all about the word. It was interesting also to, to learn about early musical notation before we had notes that they were they were little um, neums, neums. And in fact, then to learn that one of the, the, the manuscripts, that is one of the reference graduals, is in a, a city, a beautiful city called Lyon, about two and a half hours from Paris, and where I go regularly because we have a, a base there. And all very coincidental. And, and, and in fact, there are Irish connections as well because I think Columbanus would be one, but there were other Irish monks who travelled to this medieval city which um, has a, a beautiful cathedral, not unlike Notre Dame, um, built in around the same time in the 1100s. I mean, amazing to be able to sing music in Latin um, and going back for so long. You know, there was a connection then to those people who, who delivered those, mm. the, the chants. But the fact that it was in Latin as well, another language and another to better understand, because I was having to learn Latin as well, better understand our own language and the origins so much of of, of English and, and French and European languages have their origins in Greek and Latin. And even Irish too. It makes me think about, because of course those 
particularly with chant and those connections across Europe are ones that are also influenced by our kind of religious, kind of common religious heritage at different points. Even with our more contentious recent histories, like there's still a, a, a common history there. It makes me think about um, the kind of legacies. So we, we have these kind of layers of history and it's important to recognise them. And also I try and think about them as resources, which doesn't mean that we need to repeat them. Uh, it means that we need to recognise them and then kind of make choices about how it is we use that resource. And certainly there's work that I've made on the impact of Catholicism mm -hmm. on the Irish body. So I would have said that my actually my body was trained by certainly that sporting environment uh, that I grew up in, but also by Catholicism kind of. I was an altar boy. I knew when to kneel, when to stand, when to ring the bell. Like that's that's all choreography and it's all a kind of shaping about how you might hold your body. And we know from experiences of other cultures that religion might be expressed. It could easily be expressed in kind of exuberance and, and free movement. But we, some of us in Ireland uh, have a very different tradition. So for me, all of that has a bearing, all of this. European, pan-European, whether it's Roman, whether it's Roman Catholic or not, and that's only part of our, our heritage, um, it all has an impact on the kind of dancing that we can do today. Before their continental riffs end, contributors suggest something that catches for them the essence of Europe. Well, I'm not very good because I'm going to be complicated here. You won't be surprised to know. Um, in a way, one object I could pick is my body, our bodies, because our bodies, I think, are a really important material. They're made from all of these experiences that we have. They're made from what we inherit and they're made from the choices and opportunities that are available to us. So in the context of Europe, this body has been made by the travel, by the opportunities to dance, by the people I've met, by the relationships. So that's one object and it's still it's a work in progress and I hope it will continue to proceed across Europe and in many other places. But actually, if we were to go back to the beginning, we talked about language and we had a linguaphone, a little plastic case of cassettes all kind of wrapped together in the case for learning French. My mother had gotten the highest score in French in the Leaving Cert. She's got the highest score in the country, so she was someone who loved French and can see it kind of next to her seat and next to the fireplace. And we used to play it and I, I loved it. It was glamorous. Exotic. Exotic, it was. Now, interestingly, my mother didn't get to travel. I think my, my parents went on holiday for, for their honeymoon. They didn't travel when we were growing up. I didn't think we had those opportunities. My father, for his work, like I was saying, he was part of what was Waterford Foods, now Global Glondia, and he would travel. I, I'm the eldest, so when he came back, I think I had Bunny from Amsterdam, so a, a rabbit. And eventually, a few years later, my, my brother had a bunny from Brussels. So we would do pillow fights with the bunnies and their kind of long limbs and fluffy cheeks would get <laughs> flung off and need to be sewn on. Because I've never seen that aggression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my family would recognise it. It's there in my physicality. It's there. <laughs> but there's something about that, about the sense, these little objects that give a sense of something far away and a kind of passport to them and opportunities that might exist elsewhere. And the fact that you do, if you're lucky, you have people that provide a gateway to that for you. So I'm, I kind of really want to acknowledge that. I've, the fortune I've had to 
have people who've provided me with that. And and I would count you among those people, Nora, as a kind of connector. You you always make not just for me but for many people connections that allow us to yeah, to kind of grow and flourish. We need those in our lives. Thank you. That you, I think that you chose three objects there. <laughs> I'll maybe choose a couple, but it, just thinking, I have a real appreciation of the object, which goes back, I think, to my time in the Hunt Museum. John and Gertrude Hunt had this wonderful collection of about 3,000 objects and they lived with them and used them. And so I like that idea of, of using objects. And so one of the objects um, that comes to mind immediately when you talk about Europe is a spoon that was gifted to me by my uncle when I was born. And it's a beautiful little silver caddy spoon, so used to serve tea. The silversmith, Thomas O'Connor, was inspired by the hallmark that was created at the time by the Dublin Assay Office. So it was a hallmark which depicted the Glennon Sheen collar. A beautiful neck piece from the late Bronze Age found over in the Burren. that's now in the, the National Museum. This was used only in 1973, this hallmark. What I love about the spoon is this idea of the marriage of the prehistoric neck piece and our future rooted in Europe. I'm going to choose another object <laughs> as well, and that's uh, Joseph Boyce's hat. Joseph Boyce, the, the German artist, when I went to Frankfurt as a teenager, I remember seeing this incredible exhibition by Kandinsky and that was very formative for me. I was 15 at the time and it was this wonderful retrospective in the Schieren Kunsthalle. And I also saw quite a bit of work by Joseph Boys and I had met Joseph Boys as a child. My father had tempted him over to Ireland and, and we met some years later in the, the Butler Gallery. And I was a child and I said to him, why do you always wear that hat? And he took the hat off his head. This incredible, you know, such a, an influential German performance artist, you know, founding member of the Green Party. And he took his hat off his head and he popped it on mine. So I'm one of the few people who has worn Joseph Boyce's hat. You've been listening to an edition of RT Radio's Continental Riffs with contributors, dance artist and choreographer Fergus O'Crohor and director of Ireland's Cultural Centre in Paris, Le Centre Culturel Irlandais, Nora Hickey Missicilli. And of course, do check out for further episodes of Continental Riffs on RT Radio 1 and extended podcast versions of the conversations wherever you get your podcasts. Good evening, Thank you for listening.